if you keep putting out the same kind of vibes, same value proposition, you're only going to draw talent in that mm. fits in that box. Mm -hmm. And that does not make for a successful business. I mean, all the data shows us that the businesses with the most diverse teams perform the best. Yeah. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism. Scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B marketing, the provocative truth. Hello and welcome to B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth. I'm Benedict and today I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Carrie Heath, who is Marketing Director of LexisNexis Risk Solutions, which is a bit of a mouthful, especially <laughs> at first thing on a Monday morning. Carrie, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Now, before we jump into sort of the subject at hand, which I think is going to be a really, really interesting one today, mm. the floor is yours if you want to give a brief introduction to some of the people who will be joining in who may not be familiar with you. Sure. So um, my background is in marketing, unsurprisingly. Yep. Um, it's all I've ever done. So my degree is in marketing. Um, I've worked in a variety of different sectors from FMCG all the way through to financial services. I've been in the kind of data analytics FS space probably now for ooh, nigh on seven, eight years, um, including in kind of SaaS as well. So that's really my background. But yeah, marketing all the way. Wonderful. Well, I mean, I, this is this was not not planned, but I will I might pick up some of the FMCG background mm. into very very <laughs> very heavy B two B professional services later because I think it's a really interesting transition and it is a popular topic that we have on the podcast. But today we're going to be talking around how we can I think focus on improving diversity and inclusion within FS and also professional services. Yeah. But I think potentially also just looking at how we can increase um, recruitment and retention just full stop. So to start us off, I want to give a provocative truth and see how you respond to this. And, and that's for me, I think, in the context of the rise of technology, and you, certainly if you think about how appealing it is to go and work for tech brands, um, whereas FS, PS used to be absolutely the destinations for the, the brightest talents coming out from university, it's no longer the case. So almost the provocative truth I want to put to you is that given that FS and, and PS no longer have any appeal full stop, surely we're fighting a losing battle if we also want to increase diversity and representation within those sectors. I think it's a challenge. I think mm. the the sector has a bit of a problem with sex appeal mm -hmm. at the moment. You know, um, it's not Google. It's, you know, who can take the best and the brightest from those technology spaces and across the board. And I think there's going to have to be a shift change in how they present themselves as brands, but also culturally. Mm -hmm. I think we have to get into a position where we are bringing that kind of inclusive positioning throughout the culture of the big FS brands. I mean, they're amazing companies to work mm. for. They are hugely successful organisations. And yet the talent pool is small and it's stagnating and trying to get that kind of better diversity to bring in those ideas and the best mm. and the brightest is hard. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right and you, I mean, you implicitly are talking there almost about sort of that, that rebranding, certainly from a sort of employee mm. proposition perspective. Now, clearly there are going to be exceptions to this, but how would you at the moment characterise what 
an FS firm or a PS firm represents to prospective candidates? I think it depends on what generation you sit in. Mm. I think if you're looking at kind of millennials and under, I think there's a, a misconception that it's that very stoic, slightly starched and uncomfortable environment where it's, you have to be in the office and, you know, it's all driven from top-down leadership and you don't have a voice and you're a number. Mm. And that is an absolute misconception. I've mm. been in FS for long enough to know that. But we're going we're gonna to have to break that stigma. And I think there's some great organisations doing it. You see the kind of startup environment yeah. really driving that change. And it's how do we get the kind of incumbents to move with the way the startup culture's moving and it's not good enough now to say we've got a pool table oh there's a drinks fridge for a Friday yeah. that is not enough to change how you're perceived and to really define what your EVP looks like and what do you feel are the reasons that there is this lack of pace if you like with that that transition what are the barriers which are still preventing PS or FS firms communicating that I think there's Challenge is the, it comes back to leadership, I yep. think, at the end of the day. And I think when you've got la less diversity at the top mm -hmm. and throughout those kind of leadership and management roles, you're consistently not going to see a change in what's flood your talent pool flooding into yeah. other roles that will eventually move up through the chain. You know, it's that mirror effect mm -hmm. as well. You see, if you don't see yourself or someone who looks like you, acts like you, sounds like you, you know, you're not going to want to go and work there. Mm. Because you don't want to stand. It, human nature says, I don't want to stand out like mm. a sore thumb, mm -hmm. ultimately. Um, if we change what that leadership looks like, and it is changing, mm. it's slow though. And I think that's the difference is when you look at the technology firms, I think they've been far more aggressive in pushing for some of that change. But also in that startup environment that's coming through, particularly in financial services right now, their leadership teams are small. So mm. those, those changes can be massive rather than when you're dealing with an incumbent where you're dealing with thousands of employees and trying to change that takes time. Mm. It's time. And would you propose radical sort of approaches to make that sort of change? Because, I mean, I fully agree with you. And I, I think even at a smaller sort of company level, it's, it's difficult to really affect that change at the senior levels mm. through the normal processes and through yeah. the incremental changes. So do you feel that actually companies need to be more radical? And if, unless they are radical, then they're going to face a degree of obsolescence, certainly from a sort of a talent market perspective. I think if they don't do it, you're absolutely right. Yeah. There's just going to be, you, you, you put out what you, you get out what you put in kind yeah. of thing, right? If you keep putting out the same kind of vibe, same value proposition, you're only going to draw talent in mm. that fits in that box. Mm -hmm. And that does not make for a successful business. I mean, all the data shows us that the businesses with the most diverse teams perform the best. Yeah. Um, I think in order to get there, there is going to have to be a big shift in, but it's not going to be in the incumbents. It's just not going to be quick. And mm. I think it has to be, it has to come from the top because it has to be embedded in your culture. Everybody has to live, yeah. breathe it and believe it because you're just going to breed in certain places and pockets. If it's not believed and really lived. Yeah you'll breathe that negativity in it still. That won't change it. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Got to come from the top. And, and, and let's, just, let's focus our conversation on the, on the incumbents because, as you said, if you're more of an emerging player, mm. there's just more fluidity. You can more shape it in the yeah. way that you want. But if we're going to look at some of those 
big companies and let's face it within financial services within professional services it's still dominated you know mm -hmm. ps you've got the big four you've got your accentures financial services you've got your sort of long-standing leg legacy legacy banks so looking at it from an incumbent perspective now i completely agree that the actual change needs to come from the top but who do you feel within the organization should have ownership of actually influencing and driving the change from from inside do you think that's marketing or do you think that's hr or where do, where do you feel that needs to sit i think that's a, it's a really interesting subject and one mm. that we're seeing come up more and more and more when you look at what's going on in the market i personally unsurprisingly think it needs to come from marketing yep. but i think it has to be a hand in glove approach with hr marketing have the people knowledge in the way that the behavior mm. the language the marketing strategies that can be transferred into recruitment strategies. But HR, on the other hand, have a really in-depth knowledge of what's best to bring the best talent in. So how yeah. do we merge those together? And these are these, what I'm seeing at the moment is these employer brand roles yeah. are coming up more and more and more. They're quite new, I think, as a concept. Mm. I think what's really interesting is when you read them, the job descriptions, they really talk about... Um, you have to have an HR background. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's probably a little bit of a miss mm. because you're not going to change the way you do something necessarily without bringing in someone who's a really solid marketer yeah. into those roles. And I would imagine marketers with an HR background, that pool is probably very small. So you're probably cutting your legs off before you even started in some ways. I mean, I think that it's sort of instinctively, it does have to be that collaborative approach because you say totally. that unicorn of a marketing HR hybrid are probably few and far between. So just to sort of put it in practical and almost like story terms, what, what does it look like from your perspective? What's that ideal collaboration point look like? How does that conversation get started and who starts it? And how do you marketing and HR work constructively together to actually change what are some quite sort of a you know, ingrained practices and mm. behaviours within businesses. I think putting, I think they're doing the right thing and putting those roles within the HR mm. function. But I think we're you bringing your current kind of marketing team into those conversations as HR people. It's them being able to reach out a lot of the time and say, look, I mean, right now is a great example from a talent perspective. It's an employee market, not an employer. Yeah. So going right, the, the market's changed behaviors have changed the pandemic's driven behaviors the cost of living crisis we're going through right now has changed consumer behavior how do we bring people into our organization and i'm absolutely convinced that the talent acquisition teams are thinking about these things of course they are so are they reaching out to their marketing colleagues within their business and saying can you help us can you help us define what our employer value proposition really mm. looks like and then work with us on what strategies that you know work from a kind of customer demand perspective. Mm. Can we transfer some of those into recruitment strategies? You know, changing up what we've always done and seeing what works. It's bringing together the kind of best and brightest minds mm. in your business to make something new and different. And then thinking about whether that employer brand role has a role in your organization. And to then bring somebody who really is a true marketer mm. into that, that can learn and work with those HR and talent acquisition teams. 
Yeah. For me, anyway. Yeah, well, I think that this, uh, that definitely makes sense. And, and do, do you think that within HR, so let me rephrase that question. So within within marketing, you know, we we have that sort of that culture of trying to understand our target audience, mm-hmm. and we'll go out and we'll do research, and we will try and uncover those those truths. We'll understand their pain points, we'll understand their drivers, their motivations, and then we based communications in correspondence with that. Does, do HR have that same culture of trying to be audience centric, which is, I think, almost the shift that needs to happen? I think it's much harder mm. for them because you're recruiting for such a vast array of different roles specialisms teams that is probably a really really difficult thing today you you know we can go out and define our personas Mm -hmm. I think they that would be incredibly hard I think they have to start at what the value proposition for the business is what who they are as an organization or at least who they want to be and position themselves as that to start driving those conversations they do have to know their audience. Yeah. I think there is, there has to be an understanding that what would have driven people 50 years ago to want to join a business like X is not what's going to drive people now. Mm-hmm. And if we want more diversity coming into the market, we're going to have to change how we do things. You know, we have to drive things. Fe- flexible working has to be something and actually mean something because otherwise we're going to really cut off our nose to spite our face in terms of trying to bring women into the sector, Mm. for example. Those things have to change and HR have to be able as best they can to be be who they want to be to their audience. But their audiences are so, so broad. It's not an easy feat. And and they are very, very broad, which almost brings me on to another quite accepted practice within marketing, and I wonder if it's the same in HR, which is around uh, segmentation and targeting. Now, if you think mm. about the, I mean, to be honest, I would say it's, it's probably the most important fundamental when it comes to marketing is to segment your audience and then not try and go for all of them, but be clear about who you are targeting. Yeah. Now, from your experience and your observations, does that actually take place within HR? Because we talk about how we want to improve diversity and inclusion. We talk about how we want to mm. include representation, but it seems to me that often exists as a very abstract concept mm-hmm. rather than actually being like, well, look, we can't achieve everything. So it's about understanding what are the different cohorts that we want to target, understanding them, and then we can actually make traction with them. Do you think that segmentation and targeting is something which needs to come into HR or, or is it already there? Maybe I'm being naive. I think, I think some of it's happening. Yeah. I think the wealth of research that mm. has gone into understanding across the organizations, their percent of women, mm. percent of people of color in different roles, all those th- types of things are giving them data, yep. which they can then pull on and see where they have gaps or understand where they need to focus. I think that is happening. I think they're using that data for good mm. and in the right ways. Is it happening quickly? I don't know. Um, I think some organizations are probably better than others at truly understanding what their workforce looks like. Mm. But I hark back to it is <clears throat> it has to come from really defining who you are as a brand and what your culture yep. is. Yep. If you don't know that and that you're not completely believed and behind that, you're going to really struggle to bring talent in regardless mm. because people are going to be like, well, who are you? Yeah. Why do I want to work for you? What do you mean to me? 
regardless of if they can segment or not. And when it comes to you defining your culture, defining defining the brand, is there any tension about who actually is the ultimate owner of that? And I think, again, just to sort of give mm. extra context to that question, now we go through a lot of branding projects with, with clients and sometimes we will be brought in very, very heavily to mm-hmm. help define what that EVP is, to define the values, to define the, the behavior. So it's that cultural change. Other projects, we're just, we're not, which I can only assume is because internally there is some form of division where marketing are not sort of working with um, HR. But in your mind, where does that ownership sit? I think it's a really interesting one. And we're, I've, I see it in our own organisation, but I've seen it in others I've worked in where you're starting to build these kind of communications functions that actually align with the HR team. Mm. So they don't sit in these kind of regionalised or marketing segments. They actually align with HR. And that, I think, is helping change things. And they're not necessarily about their kind of employer brand, but they're about owning from a corporate level mm-hmm. how that brand is feels does is interpreted mm. as and i think that's helping to bridge starting to bridge those gaps and they will tend to work quite closely with some of like the regions or the segments mm. so that's how we get to that next level of bringing in that employer brand and encasing it within i think it has to sit in hr yeah i genuinely do they are all about the people of the business that's mm-hmm. that's their whole job they're you know chief people officers yeah. is a thing so I think it has to sit there, but creating those that are true and bringing in people that are truly marketers at the heart of it mm-hmm. should, I think, help shift. And I think we're seeing more interconnectivity between the segment teams that sit out there or the regional teams that sit out there in the markets and then those kind of corporate holistic mm. pieces. I think startups and the kind of smaller organizations have much easier job of it. Mm. Ultimately, you've only got a smaller proportion of people to connect and talk to. It's the bigger organisations, the incumbents, where you've got thousands of people. How do you connect up all those dots easily and mm. bring in the marketing teams that sit at all those different levels to try and cascade that culture and those brand values through them that then they're responsible for delivering mm. in market? Yeah, I, I'm almost as we're sort of we're talking here, it's, it strikes me that the, the model potentially that companies need to go down is that marketing are almost a solutions services or solutions mm. provided within an organisation. And, and if we think about the sort of the relationship between marketing and sales or marketing and product, so marketing and sales, marketing is there to help sales get, you know, the leads and mm-hmm. to ultimately sort of drive that conversion, make make more sales yep. by either providing insight or by providing the collateral material, you know, whatever it is to warm up yep. um, an audience and get that. From a product perspective, marketing is there to make sure that that product is aligning with the market because they are the voice of the customer within mm-hmm. the organization. Now, that's really well established just because marketing has always been thought of as like, well, we're supporting um, what we're achieving from a commercial perspective. But actually, there's no reason why almost the relationship can't be exactly the same with Agreed. HR. Now, whether that's the uh, recruitment teams within HR, you know, that they've got a, an audience, they've got to sell something effectively. So therefore, marketing, you know, clearly has a role within that. Mm-hmm. But then if we're talking about it from a sort of values behaviours, from a cultural perspective, again, it can be that exact same role. So I think it's about sort of reconceptualising how marketing can face off in terms of mm-hmm. within a business. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think mm. building those, that collaborative kind of workforce across those two kind of business units, yeah. as you might say, 
it's got to happen. Mm. And I think it is happening in some organisations that are, are, are moving forward in at pace, I think. And you might be that those employer brand roles are what really bridges that gap. Yeah, yeah. And they understand marketing, they understand HR, and they can pull those two together and get the best out of them. Mm -hmm. And my penultimate question, which uh, hopefully has a little bit of provocative um, edge to it as well, is now we've talked about how we want to improve diversity and inclusion. Mm -hmm. We've talked about one of the big barriers to that is because the people at the top aren't representative. Are current marketing and HR teams within these companies, are they sufficiently representative to you know, do a, a, a truly good job in terms of, you know, building an, a, a proposition which is going to match up to some of those um, different demographic groups? I think that's a really interesting question. I think if we were to look at marketing teams, I mean, just in my experience, they tend mm. to be more female dominated. Yeah. As I think it's the same goes for HR. Mm -hmm. In So how do we, I agree with you, the, the change starts at home, right? Yeah. You've got to be able to bring in, and that's one of my one of the biggest challenges. I think is bringing in different diverse talent into marketing as well. That is a massive challenge right now, collectively in whatever type of organisation you might mm -hmm. work in. And how do we change that? Marketing isn't just for women, and HR isn't just for women. Yeah. How how do we start doing that? I I don't have the answer to it. I think it's a really it's going to be a big big challenge for the industry. Mm -hmm. Or we're going to have, like you say. Gonna, again, you're going to for, you're going to force something into having just recruiting for the same type of person potentially by bringing those together. Yeah. But I will say, in the last probably five six years, I've definitely seen more diversity coming into into marketing functions globally, mm -hmm. which is great to see. I think there's been a kind of paradigm shift that marketing isn't just an ex extension of maybe an executive assistant role. Yes, yeah. Um, which have predominantly been female roles. I think there's been a shift in kind of universities and at that grassroots level of people coming out from business studies degrees and moving mm. across into subjects that might be more creative, like communications. Yeah. And I'm seeing that with the agencies we work with as well, right? So that's a part and parcel. It's kind of an extension of our marketing teams. We're seeing more diversification yeah. out there as well, which is great. I was about to say, well, we are an extension of your team and then you, you beat me to the punch and said it anyway. <laughs> so that, that is great. Um, look, I've, I've really, really enjoyed this uh, conversation. And I think we've actually, and I, I know that, you know, even on this podcast, people have talked around sort of, you know, the problems with DNI within mm. um, those sort of sectors. But I feel that we have actually touched upon some new areas there, which is really, really great. But before you go, um, it would be remiss of me not to ask our question. We always ask on the uh, provocative truth. And that's, when was the last time that you saw a piece of creative or a, an mm. ad, a piece of communication, whatever, and it can be in B2B or B2C, that you really felt in your guts, that you had that deep emotional response to? So I'm going to go B2C here. You may, yeah. Um, so I am absolutely in love with what Dove do from an advertising perspective mm -hmm. and a marketing perspective. Their campaign around reverse selfie was... So I'm I'm a mother of two girls mm -hmm. as well, and that just connected with me with me on a level like I hadn't had it in a while, right? You know, we all become a little bit numb, I think, mm. to having so much messaging and advertising thrown at us, particularly because of the digital environment we now live in. But they did an, a phenomenal job, absolutely phenomenal job. And yeah, I think there's probably a lot of women out there that went, "Oh my god, that's that's me." I worry, you know. 
what I see online has changed how I present myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've got a 10-year-old mm. and I'm petrified that she's going to go out and want, and, it, you know, it's going to happen, going to go on Instagram and put filters all over her face. Mm. And it's not, she now looks 35 <laughs> kind of thing. That's what yeah. the, the reality of being a woman in that kind of social media environment where they truly believe that influencers look how they do mm. is, you know, and what Dove did by kind of reverse engineering that was a great awareness campaign mm. for a start, but also I think resonated with women definitely across the UK. Well, no, thanks for sharing. I think that I actually haven't seen that um, campaign, which is really, really bad of me, but I think it's amazing how Dove have managed to sustain that mm. form of sort of communication. It's not always It's not always the same sort mm. of idea, but they've managed to maintain that that relevance and that pertinence almost in terms mm. of their sort of communication and clearly have broken down a lot of barriers as, as a result of that. Yeah. Um, Yes, as I say, thanks for sharing. And, and, and just overall, you know, thanks very much for, for this conversation. I think there's, there's lots of aspects which I could sort of pull out on, but I think actually the sort of the overriding thing that I'm taking out of this conversation is the role that marketing can play with all different parts of the business. You know, I, I spoke earlier around yeah. the traditional sides of the sales and, and, and the mm. product, but that relationship and that sort of collaboration between uh, marketing and HR, I think, can be so powerful. And I think clearly there's a lot that marketing can learn from HR, of course, but I think it can be transformational and so powerful for HR to really engage with marketing, learn from marketing in terms of how mm. to better understand your audience, but also how to think about building a proposition which attracts an audience. And that's exactly what you're trying to do in HR. If you're certainly from a recruitment perspective, but yeah. a retention perspective Absolutely. as well, is to communicate that, that idea. Yeah, and building it back into your culture. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally. Thank you very much for joining. Thanks so much for having me. B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.